And I love seeing people do that. And, you know, living up to your potential, it doesn't mean you have to go cure cancer. You know, you could, you could just uh, mentor some kids or be a good mom or help a friend in need or take care of a sick relative or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be something that changes the entire world. You know, it could just change one person. And, and that's enough. This is Unconditioning. Discovering the Voice Within. With Whitney and Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 45th episode of Unconditioning. Discovering the Voice Within where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Catherine Klimitas. She is a New Orleans-based artist and designer who sold her first watercolor at the age of 10. As the daughter of veterinarians, Catherine expresses her family's lifelong love of animals through her meticulous, lifelike paintings. She earned a BA from Loyola University in 2011, and today, at the age of 33, she runs her multifaceted business, KAK Art and Designs, from home. And when clients learn that Catherine has osteogenesis imperfecta, also known as brittle bone disease, are captivated by her unique perspective. She and her parents stopped counting her broken bones at 500 at the age of 10. She's two feet seven inches tall. She gets around an electric wheelchair and she creates all of her art, jewelry, and her commercial graphic design work while lying on her side. Catherine's story is incredibly inspiring and I'm so happy that I was able to have this conversation with her and share her story and her quest for helping people to live up to their fullest potential because she surely does. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Catherine. We covered extreme heat. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you have quite a story and in order to get where you are in your life, there was a lot of things that you had to go through and accomplish to get to where you are. So one of the first things that I like to ask my guests is when we're talking about the inner authentic voice and intuition, um, when was the first time that you realized that you had this inner voice of your own, that you could identify it as something that was truly yours and it was coming from you? Hmm. That's a really interesting question and one <laughs> I don't think I've ever really thought about actually uh you know i had this conversation with somebody not long ago about um there are people who don't hear themselves in their head like they don't talk to themselves in their head and I i've never been one of those people like i always hear myself in my head and maybe that makes me completely crazy i don't know <laughs> um but, but that is uh normal you know, for me, I guess, I don't know, it's hard to say when, because um, I feel like we're always influenced by our environment right. and by our families and, you know, the people around us and what's happening and what's going on. Um, but I don't know that that inner voice has ever been anybody but me. You know, like, it's always been influenced by other things. Like, you know, okay, your mom really wouldn't want you doing this. Or, you know, do, you know, 
what do you think is really the right thing to do here um, based on what's going on around me. But it's always pretty much been me. Um, I, I had parents that taught me to be very independent. And mm -hmm. so, um, I mean, even as a kid, you know, I, I heard myself in my head. Um, but I guess, I guess as I got more, like as I found myself more, so like as I got into art more and I found, you know, I found what I was good at and what I was going to eventually do with my life, um, that got stronger. So mm -hmm. I would, I would say like, if I had to, if I had to pick an age, you know, or like a time frame, I would say like sometime between seven and 10, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. So <laughs> that's good. So, that's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 one that I find that people don't really um, ever take the time to even separate those two things. Yeah. And um, so you began art at a very young age. Yes. And so I'm curious if you could tell me like what drew you to art and if that was like an intuitive sort of experience as well so i always went to a mainstream school uh when i was young so i was the only person in a wheelchair until i was actually a senior in high school um and so when um obviously i had friends who were able to do all kinds of things that i couldn't do you know, they were able to play sports and go outside and, you know, all that stuff. And so I needed something to do because I was bored and I was driving my parents completely crazy. And so, <laughs> and so my mom um, bought me my first watercolor set when I was five. And I guess intuitively, I just took to it like immediately. You know, I loved it. I loved art from that point on. And so she got me into all kinds of other classes um, like other types of media. Uh, I got to do all kinds of different techniques. I got to work with acrylic and oil and sculpture. And I even did a glass blowing camp one summer. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was really, it's really fun, but really dangerous. Um, <laughs> not something I would necessarily recommend for everybody, but, um, really, really fun. And I, you know, was, allowed to try all these different things as a child um and as i did more of them i realized how much i loved it and so as i got into you know i got older and into high school and into college and starting to try to figure out what i'm going to do for my career it just it made sense that art was going to be part of that um i don't once I got into art, I don't think there was ever a question of whether or not it was going to be part of my life. You know, once I started, it, it was always going to be there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it was kind of intuitive. It was also kind of a it won by default. <laughs> um, and I mean, of course, I could have, you know, I could have gone into, I don't know, whatever and done computer work. You know, I could have done some kind of data entry job or some kind of computer-based um, job. But instead, I, I enjoyed art and I decided that 
I wanted it to be part of my daily life. And so that this was the way to make that happen. Yeah. And your parents were really supportive of you, it sounds like, along yes. the journey. Yes. And I mean, that's a huge, a huge thing. I mean, that's the main reason I'm where I am today. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, especially because a lot of people don't have that experience when it comes to art forms and fields and uh, yes. trying to pursue that. Yeah, because, you know, unfortunately, art forms of all kinds are not always seen as real jobs. Right. You know, and and they are, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm fortunate that my parents always looked at it as, as a real job now now granted like you can be an artist but not a working artist i mean there there is a line you know where you're not selling your work and it's not you know you're not actually making money as an artist however there are certainly artists that make lots of money and work really hard <laughs> yes and you sold your first uh, watercolor painting at a really young age I feel yes like. yeah. i was 10 when I sold my first painting um, and I, it was really neat because so my, my parents are veterinarians and I used to go to their office with them on the weekends um, because I wasn't in school and so I had to go with them. And again, I was really bored. So <laughs> I would sit in their waiting room or their treatment area and paint the animals while they were waiting for their appointment. And at some point, um, around, I don't know, between the age of like 10 and 13 or 14, my, my parents' clients started paying me to do that. You know, I would do it and they'd say, oh, here's $20. Can I have it? You know, or whatever. And eventually that amount increased mm -hmm. and I realized like, ooh, this could really work. Like, <laughs> I really like making money. You know, my friends weren't doing that. My friends weren't making money as a 10 year old, you right. know? Um, and so that was, that was really cool. And that definitely, definitely solidified the deal for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like you were able to find your own self value within the art. Definitely. When you weren't able to do things that your friends were doing necessarily, but you were able to find something uh, that you connected with. Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, and I think everyone has something, you know, they can contribute to society. It's just, you just have to figure out what it is, you know, and, and art just, it, I was lucky that I found that it was mine at a young age. Yeah. And so you decided to pursue art in college as well. Yes. Um, it's funny, actually, I originally, I was going to major in fine art. Um, and about almost all the way through my freshman year of college, I realized how hard it would be physically for me to put out the volume of art, like the amount of art I would have to put out to become financially stable. Like, it, you know, when you're, when you're a working artist, the amount of work you have to put out is tremendous because, you know, basically an artist will sell one in 10 or 20 paintings they do. Um, and so there's a reason they call them starving artists, you know, right. um, and I said, well, that's probably not going to work because physically that's just not going to happen. 
So I ended up switching my major my sophomore year into graphic design instead. So I actually graduated in graphic design and I work as a graphic designer doing branding and um, like logos and websites and social media management and that kind of thing as well. Excellent. So you were using your skills uh, wisely. Yes, yes. And it's actually, it's kind of nice because I get to um, use my skills as a a designer, which I always, people ask me what the difference is, you know, between painting and design. And design is a lot of problem solving. And there's parameters you have to stay in when you're designing something for a client, you know, whether that's size or color or, you know, elements that have to be included in the design, whatever it is, there's always parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, but with painting, it's not usually that strict. And so it's nice because I get to do both every week and right. it lets me use my brain a little bit differently. It also seems like you've probably had to do a lot of problem solving in your life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so you seem like a natural for that fit. Yes, actually, my college application essay was entitled, My Life is a Physics Problem. (laughs) And and it's very true. I mean, I I rely on everyone around me for everything, literally. You know, I I rely on everyone around me to live. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of problem solving. Would you like to share uh, with the guests um, just like the condition that you have and what yeah. that entails? Yeah. Sure, sure. So I have a genetic bone disease called osteogenesis imperfecta, um, which is also known as brittle bone disease, a little more simple. Um, and it basically means that my bones uh, grow abnormally and they break easily. So I'm actually only two foot seven inches tall. And I use an electric wheelchair to get around. Um, I usually have an aide with me all the time to help me do all of my daily activities, like mm-hmm. um, going to the bathroom and getting food and doing the things I need to do to run my business, um, things like that. And yeah, it's different. I, um, I break bones really easily. So I deal with a lot of physical pain, you know, some days more than others, but every day like I have pain it's not Mm -hmm. it's not something that goes away um I people ask me how many bones I've broken and we stopped counting around 500 when I was 10 so a lot (laughs) is the short answer Um, yeah yeah. a lot um it, it when um when you hit puberty when you have this disease the rate of breakage goes down a lot. Mm -hmm. So I I broke a lot more when I was young. Um, However, there are still days where if I'm in the wrong position and I sneeze, I break a rib. I mean, that that does still happen. Um, Certainly not as often as it used to, but um, it does still happen. So, you know, the people who move me around have to pay attention to how they're moving me and I have to pay attention um, to how I'm moving myself. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it can be complicated, um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't, I can't imagine, but it sounds like you have a pretty positive attitude about accepting this in your life. Yeah. Well, you know, it's my normal. It's mm-hmm. not, um, 
my parents found out I had this disease two weeks before I was born. And so, I mean, I've never known any different. Right. You know, I've never no- known how to walk or anything like that. And so for me, I mean, it just, it's, it is my life. I mean, it is what it is. Um, you know, it's not like when there's a person who is um, able-bodied, you know, and they've been able-bodied for however long, and then they're in some kind of accident, and all of a sudden they're a quadriplegic. Right. You know, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people that I always feel for, because I can't imagine knowing what that's like, and then not all of a sudden never being able to do it again. You know, like that, I feel like that would be much harder. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've just, I've learned from experience. I've just learned how to function over the years. Yeah, and I, I would love to connect this to your process as an artist as well, because I feel like you must have come up with some techniques and certain things within your process to adapt yes. to, yeah. Yes, so... One thing that's a little bit different about me is that it is easier for me to function lying down because um, my back starts to hurt a lot when I sit up for a long time. Um, and it's it would be hard for me to hold my arms up for a long period of time and, and do things. So I, um, I do a lot of my daily activities lying down, like eating and drinking and no, I don't choke. People freak out about that, but I've never choked laying down. Um, and, uh, you know, eating and drinking, but also drawing and painting. And so I learned uh, from a college professor. My mom hired a college professor to teach me privately when I was in high school. And mm-hmm. she would come in on the weekends and teach me for a couple of hours um, how to draw, basically, but like in a formal setting so um she taught me that things look really different when you're laying down than when you're sitting up and so before i started working with her if i looked like if if i had a vase of flowers in front of me and i looked at it to draw it it would come out totally crooked because (laughs) i thought that's how it looked you know i i that's what i thought i was seeing but it's not it's just the illusion because you're laying down. It's it's the angle. And so she taught me how to compensate for that. And yeah, and so she would actually lay on the floor with me and see what I was seeing and then teach me how to how to change what I was drawing um, to make it, you know, accurate. <laughs> and and as much as I hated it because you know, it was very frustrating to have to learn that. Um, and she would make me draw perfect circles without a compass, you know, and straight lines without a ruler. And that's really hard to do if you've never tried to do it. Um, and she'd make me do it over and over and over for two hours. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really hated it. Um, but, but Mm -hmm. it, it helped me cross over from art as a hobby into art as a career. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there are artists that draw things crooked or they have that that um, whimsical aspect, you know, to their work. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because they're doing that on purpose. But right. I was not doing that on purpose. I was doing that because I didn't know any better. 
you know, so if, if you're adding, you know, a crooked portrayal just because, because you want to, that's okay. But if you're doing it because it's just, you don't know any better then that's, you know, not as, not as okay. Yeah. So you were learning some tools so that you can be more right. expensive in your work. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And also probably giving unique perspective to pieces that need that perspective because you're able to go back to the roots of where you started. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, I look at some of my work from, you know, when I was really young and I'm like, oh my God, I have changed so much, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's okay. I mean, that's, all artists do that. All well, artists. I, yeah, I think that's a, an incredible sign of progress, too. Um, yeah. If, if we don't evolve as artists, then what are we doing? Exactly. Exactly. What are your inspirations for art? Do you have a, a process or um, how do you come about, like, an idea? My inspiration usually comes from watching other people doing so normally when I haven't painted for a while or I just haven't felt like, you know, working on a project or whatever, um, if I see another artist working on something, that makes me want to do it, usually. Um, also, I draw a lot of my inspiration from photographs, too. There's a few photographers that I follow on social media and... Um, that are that they do animal photography especially and i mean they have incredible photos and so when i see those photos i'm like ooh, that would make a great painting you know and then it makes me want to do that um so yeah i you know people ask me if i have a favorite artist or a favorite um you know somebody i draw inspiration from all the time and, and it, no not really you know it's usually watching people succeed in their own art is what makes me want to do my own. Yeah. So sort of an inspiration of motivation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and it, I think that you are a speaker also. I am. And so you're able to motivate others and be inspiring to other people. Well, I try to be, <laughs> <laughs> I try to be, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, people don't generally get to see or hear a perspective like mine, you know, because mm -hmm. it is very different. I mean, this, this disease is not, um, it's not very common. Uh, and, and it, it varies a lot. Uh, the severity of the disease can vary a lot. And so my, my type is one of the most severe. So it's even less common. Um, and I think it's good for people to hear like even though I have physical challenges and I deal with um, a very different lifestyle every day, I still contribute. You know, I still do something with my life, right. and I think that's good for to motivate people to do something with their own lives. Um, because I it drives me completely crazy when when I see someone who has so much potential and they just don't get up and use it. Mm -hmm. No, and and that just that drives me so crazy. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about uh, finding a way to contribute to society, mm -hmm. 
and that's something that I think about a lot too um, as a creative and an artist and I was wondering if you would like to expand on that and what your thoughts are like in the current state of how things are and how we can maybe <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I think that, um, I think that everyone has something to give society, you know, something they can contribute and you just have to figure out what that is. Now, that being said, I think there are some people in the world right now that are not giving the correct somethings to society. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, I, um, I think that if, you know, it goes back to living up to your potential. You know, I think that if everyone did that, it would make the world a more inspiring place. You know, it make it would make you if if everyone around you was living up to your their their potential, it would make you want to do the same. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and so so yeah, I just I I um and I love seeing people do that. And, you know, living up to your potential, it doesn't mean you have to go cure cancer. You know, you could, you could just uh, mentor some kids or be a good mom or help a friend in need or take care of a sick relative or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be something that changes the entire world. You know, it could just change one person. And, and that's enough. You yeah, know, and in the process of changing one person, you are changing the entire world. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because, of course, it's a chain reaction. Absolutely. We need more of this right now. Oh, definitely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely. Yeah. So what are your hopes for your art in the future? And where would you like that to go? Um, I, you know, I always my my big goal, like my main goal is always that my art makes people happy. I mean, that's that's kind of my big um, abstract kind of goal. Um, I do a lot of pet portraits, mm -hmm. and I think that is something that makes people happy, you know, because of course we all love our pets. You know, I have five dogs. I'm completely guilty of treating my dogs like humans. Um, <laughs> and, and um, you know, when you can commemorate a pet you know, or a loved one or, you know, however, in a painting, um, you know, I think, I think that makes people happy. I think I, I try to use a lot of color in my art that make people happy, um, especially when I do more wild animal paintings. Mm -hmm. um, but as like a, a more um, tangible goal, I guess you can say, I would love to work with a zoo or some kind of animal um, organization mm. and and put my art out there like that, you know, brand it with some kind of organization like that. Something that um, is a proponent of helping animals, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and I have a few leads on that at the moment and I'm working on a few projects. So, you know, it's, it's, it's coming together, slowly but surely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. I've looked at some of your paintings on your website, and they're gorgeous, um, vibrant. You. And it, it makes me really happy that your parents were veterinarians, and yes. it kind of comes full circle to what you're doing now. Um, it does. 
It does. I mean, I was surrounded by animals my entire childhood. I mean, of course, we had dogs and cats, but we also had snakes and we had a tarantula and hamsters and, you know, I mean, we had everything. Um, and then my favorite thing to do was to go to the zoo. You know, I just, I was always fascinated with animals. Um, and so it makes total sense that, that my subject matter now is all animals. Yeah, do you have, like, a specific animal that you connect with, like, the most? I don't know. I, I kind of asked that the other day, too. Oh. Uh, and I did not have a good answer then, either. Um, <laughs> I, um, I mean, I love dogs. I have five dogs. Um, I, you know, I, I can't imagine my life without a dog, at least one, if not five. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I... Um, I have a specific animal I connect with. I one of the one of the things I always try to do in my art is put a little bit of the personality or the soul of the animal into mm-hmm. its eyes. Um, that's kind of my my mark on my painting is is the eyes, and so I feel like every animal is special, you know. It, it and I try to connect with each one individually. So I don't know that I could choose a favorite. Um, I, I think there's something special about all of them. Yeah, that's probably why you're really good at the pet portraits too, and being able to translate that onto like a canvas and something that really is uh, valuable and special to the the pet owners. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and I and I try, and I you know, I think. I feel like sometimes they're better than other times, but most of the time, everybody loves them. So that's all that matters. It's <laughs> good. So, so you said that like your uh, the eyes are are what is kind of like your trademark or your mark on your paintings. So, what is your process of achieving that? Is there a way for you to explain? I don't know how I could explain that. Um, it's a lot, you know, I usually paint from photographs, uh, whether it's a wild animal or a pet portrait, I usually paint from photographs. And I mean, it's a lot of like just studying the photograph. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I sit there and really look at the photograph and it, and it goes back to what I was taught by that college professor about, you know, draw what's in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, draw what's yeah. there. And mm-hmm. so, um that's I mean that's literally what I try to do is to draw what's there and of course you know it's a painting right so I I always try to take a little bit of artistic license where I can um but when it's a pet portrait that's it's harder to take artistic license because it needs to look like that specific dog or that specific cat Mm um you know because that's what the person is requesting but, you know, I, I do try to take some artistic license with backgrounds and composition. And um, and then when I paint wild animals, you know, it's I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so. Get a little wild. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So if someone would like to work with you or, or experience your art, um, where can they find you? So my website is uh, K-A-K Art Nola, N-O-L-A dot com 
And uh, from there, they can read more about me. Um, all of my social media links are there. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram. I try really hard to be active on LinkedIn, but sometimes I fail. Um, <laughs> I do have a YouTube channel, but again, I try to be active. Sometimes I fail. Um, <laughs> it's really hard when you do social media management for other clients. Right. Really hard to do it for yourself. Uh, I can else. I can relate to that. Um, yes. Because um, I yeah. also have done that in the past. And so when it comes to my own stuff, I'm yeah. kind of like, uh, let's not do it. It's so much harder. But yeah, but on my website, you can, um, you're welcome to send me a message. There's a contact form there. Um, there's lots of examples of my work. And then there's also a link to my Etsy store. And okay. I, um, I sell prints and um, other products with my paintings on them, like pillows and blankets and things like that. Um, and you can go there and check that out as well. Great. I will put all of his links into the show notes um, awesome. so people can click on them very easily. Awesome. Yeah. So I have one last question that I usually okay. ask before we wrap up. Okay. And that is, if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? Oh. If my inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? You know, my dad had this saying, um, you're only as good as your last call. <laughs> and I, I say that to myself often um, because, you know, it basically means you can be really good, but if at a point, you know, you fail, that's what people are going to remember and you need to try to be good again, you know, after that point. Um, and so... It, it might say that um it might say something cliche like just do it like mm -hmm. nike even yeah. though i don't play sports or wear shoes um <laughs> <laughs> that's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's okay um it also might say something like find your something because again mm -hmm. i think yeah. everyone has something to give and um once they find it they should use it excellent yeah. So there you go. There's three options. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this interview. Um, I had a really great time um, speaking with you and, and hearing your story. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.